for the reading of the Word of God. Okay, so today's text is from Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present. You're holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Holy, blameless, and free from accusation. What? <laughs> wow. Well, it's so good to be with you all this morning, the Sunday after Christmas. I hope that you enjoyed your holiday and your time with family and friends, um, and also um, gaining maybe a few pounds that we all share that in common, so it's a, it's a, it's a weight we can all carry together. <coughs> I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like this mic is a little low. Is it just me? Or is it a little low? Okay. Can you put it a little higher, Mike? Thank you. That's better. <laughs> now, now it's too high. Uh, um, that's all right. I think that's good. Some of the things that we value here at Refuge Church is um, the times that we get to spend together in fellowship and community. One of our values is authentic friendships. So um, to that end, we try to promote that through different various small groups. Um, some of them aren't meeting right now. They're just kind of paused, like our women's group mean, meets on Thursday morning. Our, our men's group meets on Saturday. We would love you to, um, to get involved if you're not already. If you're new and you try to think of ways to get plugged in, maybe there's a, maybe there's a way that you'd like to start helping out and serving and just um, in, uh, um, so that we're a mutual blessing to each other. On your program, on your bulletin, the, um, on the back of it, there are different ways that, that you can see that we have like for service opportunities, and it also mentions our small groups. So if you have questions or you're interested in any of those things, um, maybe, maybe the small groups that we offer right now just aren't fitting your schedule, well, let us know. Maybe we can start a new one. Maybe it's time for that. So um, I hope that you can, can let us know any needs that you might have, and we would love to, to um, include you and participate in fellowship with you. Um, we have a wonderful... Um, a youth group that we started about, I would say, two months ago, it feels like now, and we call that Shields of Faith, and that meets on Wednesday nights, and it's basically for like about 12 to teenish years somewhere in there, right? So um, 
there's there's some people that are in their early 20s though so it's kind of it's a little more open whereas we're a kind of a small church so we try not to put too many restrictions on those types of things but if that's your age group we would love for you to join us if you have uh, a teenager that you think would benefit from that Um, I would love to just pray right now just before we start our service just for our our meaningful relationships with with each other and our fellowship time so would you join me dear Heavenly Father we come to you this morning and we ask for a blessing on our lives that we would live lives that are transparent with each other that we would have godly Christian friendships and fellowship that you would direct our steps, that you would bless our groups that meet to that end. God, thank you so much for the people that love you and that just gather around your word regularly um, on Sundays and throughout their week. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would just indeed bless your word now as we consider it, what it means to our lives, and how to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you might be connected to social media. Um, Social media took by storm, um, pretty much in the MySpace and Facebook era, it feels like 15 years ago now, and now it seems ubi- ubiquitous all over the world. Everyone is connected to some sort of social media outlet, and it seems as if um, there's always a new one coming out that because young people don't like us, old people join in their groups, so they invent a new <laughs> one where where there's no old people on it. So now I think the latest, it's not even uh, Instagram anymore, it's a new one. What is it? You guys, can you help me out? What's, what's, what's the new one that you all are using now? Snapchat, is that it? Snapchat? Yeah, there's also, there was one with a video. You do like a three-second video, and then it disappears. Is that TikTok? There it is. Thank you. TikTok. See, the, adult kn- the adults know, and the, the teenagers are embarrassed that I'm talking to them. They don't want to say anything. <coughs> but it's ubiquitous, ubiquitous now. Um, I, have, I have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Me. Who, who would have thought? I do it primarily for the church to communicate, to promote our things, but I still have them. Um, social media has created a world filled with people determined to prove to the rest of the world that they're living lives fully. Isn't that true? It seems to be the goal of our new fishbowl society. Everyone's in a fishbowl now. Everyone sees what we're doing. But what does it mean to live a really full life, indeed? There's a social psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Aaron Vogel who comments on basically how social media has sort of pushed our, or, or formed our, our ideas of what it means to live fully. She says social media seems to define living fully as being adventurous, spontaneous, and extroverted. Sorry, introverts. You are not living life fully. For people who are fulfilled by a quieter life, social media seems to tell them that they're living life the wrong way. Have you ever felt like that when you've gone on social media? Like you're just not living up to what it means to be really living life because you're looking at everyone else's? The results, she says, is that it takes you away from the present moment. You may book an excursion for your next trip, thinking, this will be fun. But in the back of your mind, you might also be thinking about how great the pictures will be that you can post. Sarah Kubrick, another psychotherapist, says that millennials conceptualize living fully as seizing opportunities, taking risks, and exploring the unknown. That's sort of the, the message that you get from social media. She says, we're eager to live our lives fully Yet the pressure to prove this to our friends 
is a major reason that we are not. <laughs> Interesting. So I would, I would have to add to this that it seems that proving to the rest of the world that we are worth following and copying and being like is what we're most after. And how, if we're really honest, we define what it means to live a full life. Am I copy-worthy? Am I like-worthy? And at the heart of this, I think, <clears throat> we're desperate to matter, we're desperate to be important, and we're desperate to be loved. That is a human condition that's deep within the human heart that existed long before Mark Zuckerberg. But there's just never enough likes on our picture, is there? Or on our Twitter posts. Could it be that it's just not possible to have an insta-life or to be insta-loved or insta-important, right? You recall um, the vision statement that we introduced some months ago that we just refined and worked on together as pastors and as a church. It says this, we desire that our church, that's you, and our neighbors, that's our community and friends, that our church and neighbors would know Jesus and find real life as we joyfully model grace, serve each other, and share our lives and faith together. Real life. Life fully lived. That's what we're after. That's what everyone's after. That's what I'm after. But we just so often miss it. It's like almost like jello. We can't really hold on to it. So my suggestion to you this morning is that Jesus Supreme, Supreme, our Supreme Savior, who is Lord of all and Lord of everything, is the only source of life and the only source of real life that, you, that will ever satisfy your hearts that are desperate for it. And what we're doing for the next uh, couple of months or so is we're in a New Testament book. It's a letter called Colossians that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Greece, basically describing to them who Jesus is so that they can know and experience a real, rich, full, and satisfying life in him. So I hope that all of us are intrigued by this. I hope that we all are gravitated towards this message because all of us are seeking it in some respect or another to find full life. Paul maintains, the writer, that's the writer of Colossians, he says that life is bound up in the salvation and grace of God through Jesus as Jesus reconciles us with our Creator, our God. Okay? It's in Him only that we find the life we're looking for. So your life, your deep soul satisfaction, harmony, or peace, whatever you want to call it, is dependent on the grace of God in a relationship with Him through Jesus. You only can satisfy, you only can scratch that proverbial itch in Jesus Christ as He is absolutely first. So this, this morning, I want to present to you our lovely Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the supreme Lord and absolutely first in all of creation. That's what we learn in this passage. We, we will discuss this morning that Jesus is the source of full life, being preeminent, being ultimate, being supreme in three ways. He is this by nature, 
He is this in creation, the created world, and he is this in recreation. And I'll get, we'll get to what these things mean as we continue the sermon this morning. Okay? So if you're taking notes, if you've got a pencil or a pen, these are some things that you might want to write down. Jesus is first. He is supreme in three ways. <clears throat> By nature, in creation, and in recreation. He is absolutely first. He is ultimately supreme. He is the first order of priority. Compared to everything else under heaven, every desire that you ever had, every motivation that ever was found in your heart, he is absolutely first, whether you acknowledge it or realize it. He is first. Paul presents Christ as exalted, that is above all creation, and preeminence, that means that he is of first importance. He describes this in this rich text that we just had read to you. And it says so much. It's important, I think, for you to write down the, 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 the scripture text and read it again when you get home. Because there's so much in it that will encourage your life and answer questions to you about who Jesus is. Paul is writing to answer a heresy, by the way. And a heresy is basically a core doctrinal error, something um, of, of such importance that it changes what Christianity is. So he's writing this letter to answer a core doctrinal heresy that was floating around in the church at Colossae that crept into their church, and it basically said that Jesus simply was one of many options. He was not preeminent. He was not supreme. He was almost like a sage guru. He was one person that could help you live a life that matters that's important that's worth living but he's not supreme he's not exalted he's not preeminence he's not lord this is the error by the way you say oh that seems so far removed there was all sorts of weird stuff going on back then this is the 21st century but we make this same error with our insta life don't we because when we seek to identify ourselves with the applause of people with their looking at us with affirmation, such as we do on social media, we actually are making the audience preeminent. We're making them Lord. Or we're making ourselves Lord. We want to be the, the best, the brightest. Imagine, friends, how you might live if suddenly all the noise around you just sort of stopped and we simply just desired to know love, and follow Jesus Christ. I think if you're a Christian, you can identify with the beauty of that idea. Well, that's what the Bible puts out to you as, as what's available to you in the Christian life. That you're important not because of how many likes you get on a picture or because how, you, how cute you look in that new dress. You're important because of Jesus Christ and what he says and what he's done for you. No matter how you look or don't look. Isn't that great news? We no longer need to prove ourselves. If Christ is preeminent, if he is first, that means we don't need to prove ourselves to anybody, including us. We don't need to live up to somebody else's or even our own standards. We only need to rest in what God speaks to us about us because he's supreme. He's Christ supreme. Imagine the life that you could live. That's what it means to have Jesus absolutely first in your life. Preeminence, exalted. He's the only place 
you can find that life anyway. So go to him, friends. And why? Why is Jesus supreme? Well, let's talk about that. He is supreme first by nature, in creation, and in recreation. By nature, in creation, and recreation, as I said a moment ago. So let's talk about what this means. Jesus is absolutely first by nature. That is, he, he deserves this place because of who he is because of his identity. And our text tells us two things that are, that are critically important that you should write down and take note of. He is first by nature because he is, number one, the son who is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. He is the son who is the image of the invisible God. And number two, in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So now Paul is starting to describe just exactly who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, and he has all the fullness of God dwelling in him. Now let's talk about what this word image means. In Greek, it's the word eikon, E-I-K-O-N, eikon. We get our English word icon from it, I-C-O-N, okay? An icon, if you're familiar with computers. You guys know what those machines are, right, that computate calculations and whatnot, right? So you have an icon on your computer, and what does that icon represent? Well, it represents the function of whatever's inside it. So a folder is for filing, right? An icon folder. The, the icon of that little garbage can, what's that for? For your trash, right? You delete a picture where your eyes were closed. Well, that's where it goes, in the trash can. The icon represents the function of what the computer is doing. So an icon on a computer is meant to communicate function. In the ancient world, it was, it was similar but a little different. So an icon, an E-I-K-O-N, was basically, it was the word they used for almost like a stamp or a press. So if you were writing a letter and it was scrolled up and it was sealed with a piece of wax, a melted wax, they would stamp it so they would know who it's from. So it indicates a certain amount of possession, identity, right? But basically, the stamp, though, if you looked at the press, the same exact image on the press would be the one on the wax seal. Does that make sense? It's the same exact image. That's what, for in the Greek world, what an icon was. To see the mark is to see the stamp. To see the press is to see the stamp. Does that make sense? And friends, what this means is in Scripture, he is the image of the invisible God. If God is invisible, how do we know him? Well, he is the image. He is the stamp. If we want to know who God is, we need to look to Christ. To see Jesus is to see God. So Jesus is not just a wise sage. He's not just a brilliant guy. He wasn't just a miracle-working miracle prophet. Jesus Christ was the image of God. That is, he is God in the flesh. To understand and know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you can write that down. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Some people say, why doesn't the Bible ever just come out and say, Jesus is God? It does. Many times, actually. It's just, it's using words that we might not have picked. Hebrews chapter 1, he is the exact representation of his being. To see Jesus is to see God. He is how 
the invisible God, the ineffable one, the one that we cannot ever really fully know or fully be like or fully experience because he is so majestic, Jesus is the one that makes him known to us. That's who Christ is. So in John chapter 118, no one has ever seen God, but the only uh, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known to us. Isn't that great? You know that the Bible says that where humankind was also created in the image of God, but this in a different way and this is important. You say, well, if we're created in the, if we're in the image of God and we're a creation, well, how does this point to Jesus being God himself, God in the flesh? We're an image, he's an image, so what's the big deal? Well, it's different. Because we are his image, we imitate him, in other words, partially. In other words, I only have part of God's qualities in me. So, I don't know if you realize this, but I don't know everything. I don't have all unlimited strength and power. I can't speak the universe into existence with my words out of nothing. Ex nihilo. You see, I can't do those things. So I imitate God in part, but Jesus, in verse 19, fully imitates or, or is his image. Does that make sense? So not just a part, but fully because he is. And Christ is the full manifestation of God's unlimited power, knowledge, and all his perfections. His righteousness, his goodness, his justice, everything is fully manifest in Jesus Christ to us. So that Christ is absolutely God in the flesh, perfectly and completely, not imperfectly or partially like you and I. Jesus is the way God is seen and known and understood by us as creation. He exists, according to Philippians chapter 2, another place in Scripture, he exists in the form of God, meaning that all that God is, he is. Everything that God is, he is. The body of Christ had in it the fullness of all God's nature. Isn't that incredible? Dwelling perfectly. So Christ is supreme by default. He is first because he is the God of the universe. Second, Christ is supreme because he is first in creation. He's first in creation by nature, but he's first in creation according to our text. Paul describes Jesus as supreme over the created thing because first, he is number one, the firstborn of all creation in verse 15. So he is first by nature, as you see on the screen, but number two, he is first in creation. Paul describes Jesus as supreme in four ways, and let's get into this. <clears throat> he is firstborn of creation in verse 15. This doesn't mean that Jesus was the first one created, right? The firstborn of creation does not mean that he was the first one created, and there are three reasons for this. Number one, he cannot be a part of, of the creation that scripture says he created himself. You can't create yourself. That's a logical contradiction. So he can't be the, the first creation of the created order because he created all things. Second, Christ is described as exalted above all creation. He's superior to it. 
You cannot be superior to creation if you're on equal ground with that creation, if that makes sense. And third, he's called the firstborn who is worshipped by the creation. Now this is important. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, again, it says, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, Scripture is very clear from start to finish that you're only supposed to worship God. God would never tell us to worship something that is not him. Okay? Because in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So Jesus being the firstborn of creation means, what does it mean then? It's a word that they used in the ancient Near East to describe sovereignty and rank, okay? What it means is that he is sovereign over all creation. He is the author of it and therefore the director of it. Does that make sense? That would, that would be the, the right of a firstborn child of someone in the ancient Near East. They would have right of ownership. It, the father's property is their property. Does that make sense? The father's property is their property. And not only that, but the father's authority is the firstborn's authority. So when scripture says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, it means he has the right over every created thing. He's the director of it and he is Lord of it. Nothing is out of his control. <clears throat> Jesus is absolutely first. That's what this means. He has priority and authority over your life. You see, you might not realize that. You might reject it or push against him. But the reality is, the, as, is at the end of the day, he gets his way. And we don't. So we need to ask a very important question. Is he my priority? Is he my firstborn? Is there another firstborn thing in my life that I give priority and preeminence to that basically rules my life? Something taking his place. Maybe a, a good way to figure this out is asking the question, if something has robbed your spark for life, has something made you grumpy and miserable? Has your, is your joy gone? Are you embittered to the world around you? Perhaps there's a firstborn that is not Jesus. That the moment that you identify what that is and crush it under, your, under his feet and, may, and have him be Lord of your life, him be first of your life, to watch the wellspring of joy spring up within your hearts. Oh, friends, would you come to him? Would you recognize that he is firstborn and you are not? Isn't that great news? Jesus... <clears throat> is the firstborn over creation. He has absolute priority, whether we acknowledge or not, acknowledge it or not. But he is not just first because of this. He's also firstborn of, cre he is also Lord of creation in that number two, he created and sustains all things in verses 16 and 17. Now this is a wonderful passage that we really could spend a lot of time in. It says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Paul's going to great lengths here to let us know that he's not just saying Christ cre created some things, but not other things. He created everything. 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or, or authorities, all things have, be, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. The Jehovah's Witness have a, a translation of the Bible called the New World Translation. And in this text, it adds the word other to this. It's a, it, it reads for them, in him, all other things were created. So what they're doing here is what they're saying is that he was, he was created and then he created all other things. Does that make sense? That's their theology. That's what they believe about Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Except in the Greek text, there is no word for other. They added it. The, the, the scriptures don't say that he created everything except himself. It says that he created everything visible and invisible, whether in heaven or on earth. In other words, wherever there is a creation to be found, Jesus created it. So if he is a creation to be found, then he didn't create everything, did he? Right? But scripture is clear on this point. Visible and invisible, whether in heaven or on earth, Jesus is the author. Jesus created all things. You know what? He even created those things that don't like him. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, he did it for love's sake. He did it because he, he created something in his image to experience mutual volitional love and we chose against it but jesus nevertheless is supreme you know there are three prepositional phrases in here that are just really magical and i hope that you can follow me here all things were created it says by him he is the instrumental cause you can write that down if you take a notes all things were created by him he is the instrumental cause of all things visible and invisible. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he made the universe. Just, he made the universe, by the way. Isn't that incredible? You know how big that is? Jesus made the universe. The Father is the ultimate cause of the universe, the Son, the mediating or the instrumental cause. It, by him, all things visible and invisible were created, and according to Genesis, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He spoke and it was. That's the first preposition, by him, the instrumental cause. Jesus, also in him, all things hold together. Jesus is not only the instrument by which creation came to be, but he's the conserving cause. He's the instrumental and the conserving cause. What that means is that he keeps it going. The reason why science works the way it works and we have the laws that we have is because Jesus is the architect of those laws and holds them together. It's why we can observe anything at all. So Jesus not only made all things, but he holds things together. Acts 17 repeats um, this sustaining power of God through Christ. For in him, it says in verse 28 of Acts 17, in him we live and move and are. Some translations say breathe or have our being. In him, in Christ, we live 
and move, that means that the, the, the muscles that work in my arms and my legs, I am moving them not because of me, but because of Jesus the sustainer. Isn't that incredible? You blink your eyes at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is. He's not just a smart prophet who told us to be nice to our neighbors. He's Lord. He is creator and he is sustainer. But watch this. By him, in him, for him. By him, in him, for him. Why did he create us? For him. He created you so that you would know him and love him and serve him and so that he would love you and serve you. A reciprocal love relationship that Jesus Christ made you for, for himself. He is the intentional cause. He's not just the instrumental or the conserving cause. He is the intentional cause. Let's get down to brass tacks. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. The Bible says the God of the universe communicates to you that the reason you have breath in your lungs is for Jesus Christ. It's not for you. It's for him. You were created by Jesus for Jesus. And friends, to neglect or deny this is the highest order of offense to God's grace and love. When we do otherwise, when we put something or someone else first and love that thing before Christ, something else is preeminent, we are disrupting the created purpose of our lives. And we wonder why our souls aren't still, why our hearts aren't satisfied. There is no rest until we find rest in thee, said Augustine. It's the root cause of all, all of your internal squirming. It is. And mine too. Friends, you're not, you were not created for work primarily, for play, for prominence, for rest. I got for Christmas the most beautiful Christmas blanket. It was from my in-laws because they know how much I like comfort. <laughs> and they got me this blanket. It's weighted. Have, have you ever seen these things? A weighted blanket. Oh, you all wish you had one on your lap right now. This thing is amazing. It puts me to sleep like I'm a newborn baby, right? But God did not create me for comfort. He didn't create me for power. He didn't create me so that people would like my Insta picture. He created me for him to be loved by him, enjoyed by him, to spend eternity with him, to find my pleasure in him. Friends, you were created for him and by him. And oh, if you reject him, you are rejecting yourself. Isn't that such great irony? But when you identify yourself as for him and by him, oh, the light of full life that is yours for the first time. How wonderful it is for him to be absolutely first in creation as firstborn, as the creator, and number three, as head of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord of this church, not me. Praise God. Right? If you, any of you believed that, you'd be gone in a second. Isn't that true? 
He is Lord of the universe and Lord of his people. God's people who are such by repentance and faith in Jesus, a special body that is neither Jew nor Greek, that means anyone is in who puts faith in him. Rich or poor, heavy or skinny, whatever it might be, you put faith in Jesus Christ, he accepts you by his grace. Conflict in the church doesn't surprise the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't warp his plan. Charismatic leaders that die or leave the faith or fall into sin do not change his authority over his people or over his church because he is the one that created it, sustains it, loves it, and will preserve it until the end. That's why I hope I don't end up eating these words one day, but you'll never see me not around God's people. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional or awful they can be because Jesus says, until I return... Do not forsake your gathering together. You are his body. And to neglect you is to neglect him. So I don't care how dysfunctional or mean or cranky any of you are, or I am. We're in it till the end. Because we're his people by faith in Jesus Christ. And he is Lord of his people. Amen? And we're in it until he comes. And then we'll stop being cranky. Hopefully. The church's life is wrapped up in the creating and staining power of the sun. It's not in a deacon. It's not in a worship leader. It's not in slick programs. It's not in water slides in the children's ministry. Our life is wrapped up in the life and power of Jesus Christ. The word that sits on your lap, that became flesh, that is life to your soul. That's where it's found, friends. As we fellowship around his word, as we hear his word preached, as we read it, as we pray it, the word that became flesh gives us life and life abundantly. That's what we need. We could do this in a, a dinky, dark, dungeon basement and be happier than the biggest, slickest church on earth with all the bells and whistles. Because what we need deep in our hearts is the Lord Jesus Christ reigning over the church. Amen? Jesus is the first in creation. He is the firstborn he is the first over the created world. He is the first over the church. And get this, number four, he is the beginning and firstborn of the dead. Verse 18 says this, Jesus Christ was the first person in all of history up until this point to have a physical bodily resurrection. No one had ever done it. You say, well, what about Lazarus, the people that he raised from the dead? Well, they only resuscitated. They died again. Lazarus died again. Jesus Christ was the first to deserve, earn resurrection life and hold it completely and perfectly forever. And as such, it makes him the prototype of every resurrected life that will follow by faith in him. So when you put faith in Jesus Christ, Christ, the first fruits of resurrection, that power transfers to you, and so will you never, ever die when you resurrect from the dead. You see, you will put on life and live with him forever in eternal glory and pleasure. Not because he's going to give you a big pile of money or a hundred virgins, but because you will know and love and see Jesus Christ, the first and the last. First, Peter, first Corinthians chapter 15, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in Hebrews chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death 
he might break the power of him who holds it, and that is the devil, Satan himself. He is the conqueror of death. Jesus is absolutely first, the prototype of life, resurrected life, eternal life. Jesus is first by nature. He is first in creation. And finally, he is first in recreation. Let's talk about this for one more moment, and then we'll close. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in verse 22. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Friends, God, according to this passage, God is a reconciling God. That is, God is a maker-writer God. God makes right the things that we have made wrong that all of humanity has made wrong by our rejecting him as first. The brokenness in our souls, the brokenness in creation, the brokenness in in the angelic world is fixed by Jesus. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. God is a reconciling God, and Christ is the Lord of that reconciliation. Friends, reconciliation with God is necessary, according to our text, because of the effect of evil on the universe. In verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were his enemies. You see, that's not the Pollyanna American Jesus that we're told about, that he just loves everyone and everyone gets in. No, in Scripture, once you were alienated from God, you were his enemies in your minds because of evil in your hearts and in your behavior. Friends, evil is inconsistent with God's goodness and righteousness. And don't we know that in our guts? Don't we know that evil is just out of harmony with things as they should be? We know that. So how do we reconcile that there is a good God with the presence of evil? How do we reconcile that? Well, who is the reconciliation in Scripture? Jesus. Jesus is the reconciliation. Jesus is the reconciliation in two ways in the Bible. First, generally, and second, relationally. Let me just talk about this real quick. He is the answer, generally, to why evil exists in a world created by a good God. Jesus Christ answers that question. He takes the punishment of sin on his body, and when he comes again, he will ultimately and finally vanquish and separate every injustice and evil and wickedness known to man. All of the brokenness of our world is eradicated. It's ended. So Jesus reconciles, or he balances the scales, so to speak, of injustice in the universe. He is what explains to us how or why evil exists with God being a good God and a good creator. He reconciles it. Because he pays for it. And he ends it. He conquers it. So Jesus is the reconciliation of the created world. And all of evil and injustice. Romans chapter 8 says this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subject to frustration by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. That's why all over the Old Testament you see kids putting, in their, putting their hands into poisonous snake dens. Lions lying down with lambs. You see, in the kingdom of God, all of the wrong is made right. Jesus is the reconciler. Amen? So Jesus reconciles the created universe generally, but second, he does it relationally. Oh, and this is where it gets good. He reconciles people who were once his enemies that did not want to put him first or love him primarily over everything else. He reconciles once enemies of God who were by nature, according to Ephesians chapter 2, children of God's wrath, who by repentance and faith turn to him by his grace are restored and reconciled to their good God. All of us also lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. This is Paul's description of all of us in Ephesians 2. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Like the rest, we were children of wrath. But because of his great love for us, oh, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our sin and raised us up with Jesus and seated us in the heavenly realms in Jesus in order that in the coming ages, that's in heaven, the kingdom come, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing verse? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He reconciles us relationally, enemies, by faith to himself. We are presented to God, holy in his sight, holy in his sight, blameless. That's what our text says. Is anyone in here without blame? Certainly not. But we are presented blameless free from accusation. When we are free from accusation, there is no, no one can accuse us of anything. You say, I can be accused of a lot of things. Well, get in line. All of us can. That's the point. But we're freed from those accusations because the death of Christ satisfies all of the demands of God's justice for sin. When we are found in Christ by faith, it's as if we lived our lives exactly as he would have lived them if he was put in our shoes. No lying, no anger, no lust, no stealing, no robbing, no hate. Romans chapter 5, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Oh, and what's the conclusion? Jesus is supreme. He is absolutely first by nature. He is absolutely first in creation. And he is absolutely, absolutely first in your salvation. For your forgiveness of sin, for your life fully lived, you need to bow a knee to the rescue of Christ and surrender everything that you think is yours to him. You need to put him first. Be, let him be your first 
born. Jesus must be absolutely first in all things in our lives. And consequently, we get the life we've always wanted. We just found it in a place we weren't looking. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for your help. We know, Lord, that without you and without Christ being supreme, Lord, of all things, our hands hold our lives as it holds sand, slips through. Friends, if you're here this morning, surrender your life to Christ if you haven't already. Say, Jesus, you're firstborn. You're ultimate. You're supreme. You're Lord. And I've put everything in your place, and I need to put you, you need to be in the right place. Save me. Forgive me. You died for, for my sin so that I could have eternal life with you. Oh, friends, turn to Christ in faith and you'll be reconciled to your Father in heaven.